1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to read the first 12 verses of 1 Kings chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, and he went for his life, and came to Beersheba, where, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better better than my father's. And as he laid and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he rose and he did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat for forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. Thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. Title tonight for my sermon is Depression, Our Response. Depression, Our Response. The body is very beautiful. It is the most intricate work that you can ever think of. That If you think of all the organs and you try to say which organ is most vital, you can't say it. There is no one organ that's most vital because they all depend upon each other, just like each of us depend upon each of uh, uh, other here in church for each all different gifts and abilities and talents. I know a lot of people start with the heart, and the heart's very important. But the heart needs oxygenated blood, which comes from the lungs. 
And then from the lungs, you need to have a way to get the air in. And then through the mouth, you got food coming to the stomach because man and woman must eat at some point in their lives. I enjoy food. So from the mouth and the stomach, we know that we've got the eyes to see, to see what we're eating, our ears to know what we hear, what we're eating, because some foods are very crunchy and some of them are very festive, and some have candles that sparkle if it's a birthday cake, and I love birthday cakes in case anybody has a birthday pretty soon. But we know that it all, all of that comes together to allow everything to happen. However, the centerpiece to make all of that happen is the brain. The brain is the one that sends out the electric impulses that allows you to do things. You can think of lifting your right hand, lifting your left hand. It tells your heart to beat. Even if you try to hold your breath, so little kids do not hold your breath because parents know this, you can hold your breath until you pass out, but your breath will start going again because the brain will tell it to start breathing. So don't use that as a tactic to get your way. So I've looked up a few things about the brain because... Um, it's been a while since I've been in biology class, and my wife is a very good biology teacher, but I figured I'd rather look it up myself. I didn't realize this, but I knew I had seen a movie, and I thought that that was the weight of the brain, but the weight of the brain is three pounds, is what I read. The brain weighs three pounds, basically a half a gallon of milk. I'm going, well, that's three pounds. That's pretty darn important, Right. Think what God did with the brain. I mean, he put it around in a cranium, surrounded by a whole bunch of bone just to protect it. The, um, the capacity of the brain, right? You know, they always say that we only use a certain amount of our brain, which they've now proven wrong. But basically, we have virtually unlimited storage for memories or events or actions. So the brain really does contain all of what we've done. We may not be able to remember it ourselves, but it's somewhere in there. And I found out that the uh, a thought, you know, the transmission of electricity through the neurons and such, it's 268 miles per hour. 268 miles per hour. That's faster than a car in NASCAR. I mean, that's just... That's ridiculously fast, if you think about it. And just think about the short distance it's going, so it's just like a, you can't even see it. And just to look at the neurons and the synapses, I was just wondering how to equivalent that, and I found a metric that says a grain of sand, if you make that the brain, it has 100,000 neurons. In a grain of sand, 100,000 neurons with a billion synapses in a grain of the brain. I know God was very, very smart, but that just blows me away. If you think about it and you think about all the other grains of brain that all come together. A condition that inflicts the brain more now than ever before is depression. Before COVID, the market for pharmaceutical uh, drugs for depression 
stood at about $12.6 billion. That's just almost three years ago. Last year, it stood at $19.6 billion. It grew 6% in the fourth quarter, so this year it will cross $20 billion for medication for depression. Clearly, there's a couple of things with that number. There's a lot of people in need. But two, they can't find a cure. Because if there was a cure, they wouldn't be keep on developing new drugs for depression. They have to keep on going, trying to find that elusive living life through chemistry. But we know that depression is irritability, mad, uh, sadness and such by world definition. But for a Christian, it's a loss of joy. Loss of Christian joy, you know, joy of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why I started laughing during the uh, I'll Fly Away song. As a Christian, suffering from depression, you have to always be careful about losing your joy because that's what sustains us and drives us. And it's going to happen. It's not a matter if you know somebody. It's not a matter of when you're going to know somebody, but it's a matter of who do you know now who suffers from depression. It truly is. Society has tried to overlay every possible conceived notion, Satan's good, materialism being number one on the list. Or find this drug, find that drug, take this herb, take this essential oil in order to try to find a cure. But truly, the only cure is Jesus Christ. Truly. But for a depressed person, logic does not apply. When a person is depressed, things come into their mind and things run around and they go to a place where they shouldn't go. Instead of having rose-colored glasses, they have glasses that are tinted in darker shades of gray. But something that should be happy is maybe not too happy. Or something that's okay is really bad. So when we think about people who are suffering with depression, understand that that when you talk about that person, you look at that person, you can love them all you want. But depression makes people think illogically. It causes you to go into a place of dark despair sometimes. It takes you into a place where you have anxiety or whatever it may be. And of course, depression comes in different forms or different triggers. The first thing is, I think of is an event-based, right? An event-based for depression. I can remember when my mom died. I was at school. I was a freshman at Georgia Tech. I can remember how traumatic it was when she died because I got a phone call at 2 a.m. in the morning. Of course, it was during midterms. I had a couple exams that day. And I says, it's like, your mother died. You need to get up to Marietta, right, to make arrangements. And, of course, you fall back asleep because at 2 a.m. after you've been studying it up until midnight, (laughs) you don't have much energy to really get up and get going. So you fall back asleep, and then when you wake up, when I woke up, it's like, did I really have that phone call? 
and as the things and events unfold, and of course, um, one fact I'll just let y'all know that just to let you know there is a Kentucky person in me. Uh, my mom, my mother's buried in Stanford, Kentucky. She grew up in Somerset. So just to let you know, I'm part Kentucky. I may have grown up in Georgia, but there is Kentucky influence in me. Go cats. So, um, as I was dealing with my mother's death, I really wasn't a happy person. And lots of people have scriptures that they would love to tell somebody that's hurting, right? And you can probably think of three or four off the top of your head. You can do all things through Jesus Christ. Um, variety of different scriptures, which are fortunately just eluding me at this moment. But the only thing when people were telling me this, the only thing I was thinking of is, why are they telling me this? I'm in pain. I'm in a dark place. I just, I'm glad that you can quote scripture. And so tonight, as we look at the scriptures, when we look at how God responded to Elijah in his depression, I hope that we can somehow learn some bits and pieces that we can put together on how we should respond in kind like God would. Because, as I said, it's not a matter of if or when, it's a matter of whom. And I think that we can learn a lot from this lesson from Elijah. Now, of course, Elijah goes through this, as I've read a little bit earlier. But if you go back one chapter, he does some incredible, amazing things through the power of God. He has a face-off with 450 priests of Baal, right? And they, you know, he said, pull two bullocks. Choose your bullock. Get your wood. I get my wood. So, you know, of course, the bell priest started early in the morning, kept on going. By the time they got to noon, Elijah, just being full of confidence, says, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's somewhere. And, of course, you know, once it got evening time for the evening sacrifice, he rebuilds the altar of God. Piles up the wood, puts the bullet, cuts it up in pieces. He draws a big circle around it. Remember the circle? you know, around it, which when they put on not one, but two, but three, I mean, a whole bunch of water on it. It fills up the trough that he built around, right? And he prays and God sends down fire and consumes everything, including every ounce of water, every ounce of water. I mean, think about that for man to be a prophet so close to God, to be able to have the confidence of doing that and calling down the almighty power of God. He was, I mean, he, he saw it firsthand. He, he was the person that called upon it and it delivered. So this was not a man that was short on faith. This is not a man that was a distance from God. This is a man, this is a man that was very close to God. So we can put it in context of just realizing that depression can happen to anyone. Even the strongest person in this room, the strongest person in this world. It doesn't matter how close you are to God. Depression can come at any point in any way. As I said, there's temporal, which is event based, which I experienced with my mother. There's also another one. There's there's sort of permanent, and it goes into two different phases, biological 
and genetic. And that's why the person is postponed, pre-pone, uh, pre predisposed, thank you, predisposed to depression. Something that they have to live with for a lifetime. And it can be very challenging to live with depression for a lifetime. So I want to go through and look at the scripture and see what it has to say and take a look and see what we can glean from the scriptures concerning how God responds to depression. Of course, depression must have a trigger. There must be something to cause it. And in this, we see in verse 2 that Jezebel says, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. He had just slain 450 Baal priests with a sword. Can you imagine how scary that would be for a normal person? But yet we see that he responds in a, in a fashion where he doesn't remember, you know, that overwhelming impact, right, triggers something in him. And we see that, you know, he basically ran for his life, where it says he went for his life and came to Beersheba, which was longeth to Judah. Natural response is just fear. But the fear developed into something more, something more deep. And we see that in verse 4. He travels into the wilderness without his servant for a day. And so I have to wonder, you know, this must be really troubling to him. He's really thinking about it hard. It says that he sat underneath the juniper tree. From what I know about juniper trees, it's a good tree to sit underneath because it provides a lot of shade. So have a tree that provides shade to provide that help and provide that comfort. But he just said to himself that he requested that he might die. He said, it's enough. He was fed up. He was done with it. Didn't know what else could he do. He just wanted to crawl up and die. It's hard when we think of depression. And he asked the Lord, take away my life. This is a man that never saw death. It's transfixed. Went up in a chariot, up into the heavens. Think how overwhelmed he must have been to reach that point. After dealing with the Baal priest, how does a man fall from such high heights to such lows? And again, I would remind you that depression is not logical. He had just experienced all that stuff that he did with God. So when we encounter somebody with depression, it's going to be illogical. It doesn't have to make sense to you or me. It has to make sense to them. And it's what they think is what is happening to their life. 
And that's why they're in depression. It's why they suffer such. And he says, for I am not better than my father's. Basically, he just said, I've done everything and I just, I'm just, I just can't do anything worthwhile or worth it or a benefit or beneficial. It's a very lowly spot, depression. It's a very lowly, lowly spot. But we start to see what the response of God is in verse 5. So, in verse 5, an angel touched him. An angel touched him. And said to him, Arise and eat. And there was a little food and there was some water. Tending to his basic needs, right? Water and food. It's a substance for living. Starting out with the base. Basic needs of Elijah. It wasn't trying to solve him. It wasn't trying to fix him. It wasn't trying to encourage him to great heights. It was a base response for what he needs. Because with a depressed person... They say, why do depressed people do not eat? I can tell you why. Because you just don't think about it. You just, everything is, you lose matter. It loses meaning. So he did eat and drink and lay down again. So he's still there underneath the tree, still wishing that he would die. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for thee. So this is where we start seeing the healing process. Where God is going to keep not only providing that basal base nutrition and needs of the basic body. But it's going to start lifting him up. And take him to a place where he could find that peace, find his joy. Again, we go into verse nine and he came thither unto a cave and lodged there and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto him, what doest thou hear, Elijah? And we can hear the words of Elijah. As he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He says a lot of things there, complaints. He's just complaining to God about people aren't following Things aren't happening. You know, they're just, you know, as a prophet of God, he's, he's mentioning all his frustrations, all the things that just that drag him down. Drag him down. Sometimes a person who is depressed just needs to vent with no judgment. Notice that God didn't provide judgment here. He just allowed him to just to Go off. Say all that needs to be said. He didn't say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. At least not there. A little bit later, he talks about the other priests that hadn't bowed down before Baal. But at this point, he just lets him cry out the pain that is in his life that has stolen his joy. 
sometimes a depressed person will scream at people. And it's not necessarily screaming at the person they're screaming at. They're just screaming out in just pure desperation. Just wondering why me, right? But the beauty of it is, is that God keeps on going. After he gets through venting in verse 11, God responds and says, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Doing big things for a person who's depressed sounds great. Throwing surprise parties or doing whatever, trying to bend over backwards. But the thing is, is that a person who's depressed needs that gentle lifting up. And as that get that gentle lifting up, that helps them to stand taller. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't take, I mean, it may take months or years. It may last a lifetime. But when we encounter people who are depressed, the, the thing is not to browbeat them. Well, you shouldn't be depressed. Da, 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 da. You know, you should be joy and glad and on fire for Jesus. We have to realize that really the thing they need is a stable pillow, a good bed that's got feather top, right? I love feather top pillow beds. They need a place where they can feel comfortable to where they can experience the support and joy of the church family, of their friends, of their family, so that they can just slowly lift themselves up. I'm just hopeful tonight that this may have been of service to someone and helpful. Depression is not a trivial thing. It's not in just somebody's mind. It's just the joy's been taken away. And for some people, they can bounce back quick. And for others, depending upon the cause and the situation, it can last a lot longer. We must always be in tune of that and realize it's not browbeating, but it's a soft, gentle voice that they need most. I want to thank you for your attention this evening. As I said, I hope this has been a benefit to you. Maybe serve, maybe you said it's not a matter of if or when, it's a matter of whom. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a family member. It could be almost anybody. But the hope within Jesus Christ is we go to a land where joy never ends. And that's the most important thing we have to hold on to. Thank you.